how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. Gold stars Matthew McConaughey as businessman and modern-day prospector Kenny Wells. Eager for his lucky break, Wells would do just about anything to find gold. After experiencing a vision or foretelling, he teams up with a geologist to search for gold in the uncharted jungles of Indonesia. Screenwriters Patrick Massett and John Zinman were inspired to write the story after Massett saw a late-night documentary about the amazing true story and decided to take the chances on writing a spec script. We spoke with Massett and Zinman about watching movies with the script in your lap, the rhythm of a scene, not sending out your first script, and while working in Hollywood is somewhat like prospecting for gold. In addition to the audio format, you can also find the print interview on Creative Screenwriting's website. I liked writing when I was a kid. I mean, it was, it was the kind of the classes that I, I never really thought I'd be a screenwriter, and I just actually ran into a, a kind of a famous actor in a bar who said, who knew that I was like writing poems and short stories and said, you know, Hey, this is cool shit. You try writing a movie sometime. And it was really like, kind of like that. And, uh, I, I had like some life experience that I thought I'd throw into a Western style movie. And, uh, and, uh, that kind of set me off to the races. I sort of then went after that went and backfilled like my education by you know reading books and listening to going to some I, I think I went to a Bob Robert McKee seminar and you know I uh, didn't get no like formal education on it but it was just kind of like uh, I always loved film and never thought of screenwriting as an option until it just kind of appeared in front of me that, that was my my kind of thing. Mm -hmm. This is John. Uh, I similarly I. I did not come to screenwriting with you know any great intentionality. I I was a theater major in college. I was uh, I did acting and I was a, a playwright. I wrote my five my senior thesis was a play, um, and I didn't really know what I was going to do. I came out to L.A. because a friend of mine and I were playing music together. We started a band and. Um, I was involved in a theater company called the Fountainhead Theater Company, which is where I met Patrick. And at that point, I had written, I'd started writing screenplays. I think the playwriting led to, it was kind of like, you know, that um, period of the big spec sale. So that was certainly uh, an, an appealing 
intriguing world to try to play in. And I, I wrote a very um, young sort of uh, moody drama that when I look back on it now, it's a little bit embarrassingly earnest. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I wrote this uh, screenplay and it it got um, some attention. I got hired to write um, like this really low budget biopic and that sort of got me more interested. I started doing, like Patrick said, I started reading books on screenwriting. I started reading a lot of screenplays. And I got some piece of advice. I can't remember if it was in a book or if it was from a person to watch movies with the script in my lap. So I would be reading along shooting scripts while watching the movies and then just start picking up the structure. And um, I, Patrick and I had you know, started became friendly at the theater and we both were trying to break in and I had sold the script. Eventually I sold the script and Patrick had just finished the script and I think I read it and I was really impressed with it. And, um, you know, eventually that script sold. And so we went out and celebrated mm-hmm. and, uh, we kind of, you know, in, in the, in celebration, an idea was hatched. Like, hey, we should do something sometime. We should write something together kind of offhandedly. And, but before the end of the night, we had an idea, and we said, "Yeah, let's do it." And so we wrote this script um, that. Uh, I think I, 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 it's this is Patrick. I actually think we started writing like the next day. I mean, it was. Yeah, like, I think so too. I think we started. We just, like, I was jumped just, right in, man. <laughs> yeah, part of the reason for that is that I had a child on the way, and I was flat broke. So <laughs> we're like, "Yeah, we can do this, but we better sell it in nine months, or I'm done." So we have a nine-month clock. Let's go. We're going to write this script, and. Um, it's going to sell for a gabillion dollars, and that's going to you know, solve all our problems. Yeah, that's when you know you're thinking. Just, you're, that's how you know your thinking is just state of the art. You know, I got I got some financial troubles, man. I'm going to write a screenplay. That'll fix everything. <laughs> <laughs> and clearly, you're you're talking to some very bright people here. Yeah, but um, it did. It actually did, though, which is uh, kind of the great part. Um, that script yes, that, a, that uh, we that we wrote didn't sell, but it got us a really big assignment with Larry Gordon. And it did actually uh, kind of light the fuse of, you know, that was 20 years ago, or 18 years ago. So we've been yeah, pretty steady. We can measure that. our partnership in my son Dexter's chronology because he was <laughs> yeah. en route when yeah. we began writing together. So, um, yeah, that script led to uh, an assignment to develop a video game called Battlezone, which I think is ironic because both Patrick and I started out um, – you know, Patrick was a poet and a playwright. I was a playwright, and a, I considered myself a serious drama person. And we were you know, never going to spell out, man. That wasn't like in the play yeah. at all. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, um, the battles on the years, video game sounded great. <laughs> no, but it, it is ironic that the first thing that we, you know, because it, it's also true that we were we're both sci-fi fans too, and action movie yeah. fans. So, I mean, in terms of our viewing, we like, you know, Chinatown and Citizen Kane as much as we like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, which is something, yeah, which is something that I think if you look at our career is clear. We have been somewhat all over the map genre-wise, and I, that's really served us well because we, we've been able to adapt to, you know, opportunities, and we've, we've had success in genre and we've had success in straight drama and it does also outline the trajectory that led us to gold because 
our early success was in action and, and more fantasy type of stuff, like the adaptation of, of Battlezone, which led us to eventually get the job to adapt Tomb Raider. Mm-hmm. Um, and before you know it, these two theater guys were action writers, and we kind of looked at each other at some point. We're like, how did this happen? <laughs> um, but it did, and thank God, because it helped us buy houses, you know? You mentioned being like self-taught, watching films with the script in hand. What were some of those movies you were watching and reading at the same time? Well, for me, um, I read a lot of William Goldman scripts, mm-hmm. and I just loved his style of the way his scripts lay out on the page. It's very visual. His writing is very visual and very spare. Um, so um, definitely Butch Cassidy, probably The Sting, Chinatown, um, trying to think, Godfather movies, the first two, um, Patty Chayefsky, Network. Mm-hmm. Those are probably the big ones for me. I think I did. You know what? Actually, Patrick mentioned Die Hard. I'm pretty sure I watched and read yeah. Die Hard at the same time because that is a perfectly structured action movie, in, in our opinion, in my opinion. Yeah. It really it is. It still holds up. And you know, another thing was I got a job um, covering scripts, which um, you know I, I kind of learned how how to write like by what was wrong with a lot of material. Um, and what I, I I ended up probably covering I don't know maybe 500 scripts over the course of a few years, making 50 bucks a pop. You know, mm-hmm. that was kind of my film school. So I think I read a lot of the scripts that John mentioned as well. But in terms of that was kind of a boot camp for me as well in terms of just, and what I noticed about everything was like almost every script within the, within the, within the story was a good idea, but it was always poorly executed. Most, most 95% of them were just poorly executed. They couldn't, the writers couldn't deliver. The, the idea was always better than the execution of the material on the page. So I kind of figured, well, that's really the key then, isn't it? Just to really make sure that, um, you really go do the deep dive to really flesh out your craft to, to get the material because the ideas are going to work, you know, they ultimately always do. I think are there a really any... important point? Uh-huh. If I could just add on to that, the screenwriting is, it's a huge amount of craft. It is a technical form of writing and that is often overlooked. Um, I think not in, in film schools, I mean, kids who, who come out of film school know structure and all that, but getting it does take time to really feel the rhythm of a film or to feel the rhythm of a TV episode. And at this point in our career, we, we're pretty tuned in to the rhythm of a piece, and, and that's, I, I, that's a really important part of it. Now, whether you can write dialogue, that's something you can get better at, but I, my personal opinion is, Writing dialogue is is part of the the gift part of the equation. Either you've got that talent, you can certainly improve it. But some people are just really good at it, and some people just aren't that good at it. And it's a hard thing to teach. Mm-hmm. The structure you can teach and you can learn. The the subtlety of dialogue and knowing what not to say is is just that. You know, that's either you, you kind of have it or you don't. And I like to think that we have a pretty good handle. I don't think we're the best dialogue guys in the world, but I think we're pretty – I think that's something that we, we do pretty well. 
We write pretty natural dialogue. And I do think that it comes from the fact that both of us are actors mm-hmm. in our early days, that we can... There's nothing worse than getting a scene up on its feet in, like, an audition, and the first guy comes in, and it's terrible, and you blame the actor. Then the second guy comes in, and it's terrible, and you blame the actor. Third, fourth, fifth. About that time, you got to start blaming the scene. Right. It's not working. <laughs> you know, you kind of know, oops, we didn't do such a good job here. Um, but so we're, as actors, we are, I think, fairly attuned to whether a scene can be played or not. Because mm-hmm. sometimes it'll read beautifully, and you're like, "Wow, that's some damn good writing," but it doesn't play for you know worth a damn. So. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned like 95 percent of those scripts were missing something. Are there some other principles in those five percent besides structure and dialogue that people could try to get better at? I think that it's like I think what John was saying about experience, you know. Um, I didn't, I, I saw the script, you know, um, you know, before that fateful meeting with John, <laughs> um, by the way, he gave me a round of notes right before I sold it. So I have to attribute to maybe some of the sale to him on that. Um, hopefully he ignores just, most of those. I think it's just, um, I think it's experience, you know, I, th- I really think it's just like, it took, I, I wrote 10 scripts, 10 full length screenplays, probably actually, I think it was like eight. It just felt like 10. But, you know, I just, I really just, you know, for me, I, I, John was talking about, like, some of the gifts. I mean, it took, it took, it took a long time for me to, to get something that was market ready. And, but then once I got it, I feel like I pretty much, I feel pretty confident that I've got it. And I also feel pretty confident that I'll listen to other people around me about what's working, what's not working. And sometimes I get bullheaded and John and I both can, I think part of a, the success of our partnership is that we do listen to each other and we do argue in fairness about the idea. Um, but I think it's just, I think it's just, you know, for young writers, it's like stay in your chair, keep writing, you know, try to get completed strips, get a listen to everyone because everyone's probably right to some degree. And, and, and just begin to trust your instincts and, you know, trust the people around you. And then again, be productive, be prolific if you can. Yeah, I think being prolific is a really important thing. I, I, I think that's I would where the learning comes from. I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I was just saying I think that's where the, the real learning happens is in is in just a lot of a lot of uh, time at the uh, at the keys. Go ahead, Joey. I was just saying, looking back for me, um, I you know I'm, I've used the word rhythm uh, a few times now, and I I can't I for me personally I can't stress that enough. Everything about a script has to be musical. I mean, every scene has a rise and a fall, and if it doesn't, it's not working. So there are guys, like, for example, William Goldman. He was really influential in my early self-learning period, and the truth is my first script was me trying to write like William Goldman. And I think that my advice would be find someone you really admire whose work speaks to you, whose language intrigues you and try to copy that person you know write a script in the style of someone you really admire um it's good training it's you're gonna be following the rhythm of someone really good and experienced so you're it's going to kind of work into your your bones the the idea of the rise and fall of a script and of a scene and of a moment and 
then you know branch out into taking that into your own style um but i that's a to me that was really helpful was finding someone who i really could lock into and be like okay this is how you write a really excellent script i'm going to try to do that and follow that model and that even the the style and by the way the side effect is it's going to train you to be a tv writer too because if you can imitate someone else's style you're going to be a very successful tv you know staff writer and you know you're going to move through the ranks of tv very effectively if you can replicate the showrunner's voice and and rhythm and style so that would be my advice to someone starting out is find someone you really admire and try to rip them off you know <laughs> I think that's really sound. I think that's really sound advice. I, I also feel like you can stay up to date, sort of what what writers are doing. You know, every year the the screen, the the right, the, the you know the best screenplays that are being considered for awards come out, and you can get those scripts and read them. I, you know, we still do that. Mm-hmm. I just want to know what my fellows, my fellow writers are doing today, uh, and how you know. And it's it's amazing because. Um, if you if you read like the, if you read the the the, the scripts that are out this year. All of them are really, really excellent, but they're also all written in different styles. So to John's point, each writer has probably attached themselves to an, another writer that mentored them either like just by being able to be able to read their work and adapt to that work. Um, but the, all, most of the, all the styles are so different, but they're all really, really effective. So it really is finding the way it's going on and also looking at what writers are doing today. To, you know, Because part of a, a script is not just getting the story across but selling it to a reader, you know, selling it to a buyer, selling it to a producer and a new actor. So there's that, that has to be baked into the material to some degree as well, which is kind of a, a drag, but it's true. And you can see how, okay, why in the first five or 10 pages of, of whatever you're reading, um, it, why it's hooking people in, why it's getting, why, why this sold. Oh, this is fucking great. I'm so emotionally involved on page 15 of this thing. I can't put it down. And you can see how they did it. And that's the, mm-hmm. that's the emulation I think John's talking about. I do concur with John. Finding one voice that you can emulate is pretty. It, it, that's pretty solid. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we exactly answered your five percent missing question because it's, <laughs> that's okay. it's usually something different. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've also I've read a lot of scripts as in I, well, I, I, early days. Go, go ahead, Patty. I was just saying I think the five percent is hard work. That's that's the you know mm-hmm. that was my answer. Yeah, you know what? I'll concur with that too. In, in a different way, and this is uh, just anecdotally, I get a lot of um, requests from my alma mater, young students graduating who want to sit down, and have coffee, and I, I always do because people helped me when I was, you know, young starting out, and I want to be uh, available to people. But whenever someone wants me to read a script, I always ask them, "How many scripts have you written?" And the advice I get, it's not to be an asshole. It's just to be straight up with them because I know I'm not the only person they're asking to read. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, you know, most people in our business will help you. It will read. But we're only going to read one. I'm not going to read two of your scripts unless your first script really knocks me out. Right. So if it's your first script, don't send it to anybody. You know, even though you think it's awesome, it's probably not. <laughs> and you should write a few scripts, keep it in your inner circle, keep it among your friends who you respect, develop to a point where you're ready because you are going to find people who are 
working professionals who are going to be willing to read your stuff and potentially hire you and help you. But don't squander that because they're only going to read <laughs> one script. Right. And that's my other advice. And by the way, I can give that advice because I sent my first script out to not such great results. And I learned that lesson somewhat the hard way. And I think most people do learn that lesson the hard way. So I know I'm probably shouting into a well, but that's good. That's to me is good advice. Don't send out your first script. John, you mean, when you say don't send it out, you mean to the, to the town, you mean, but, but you definitely feel like they should send it to friends, family, and friends and sort of just what I mean, Yeah. Yeah. Send it to friends, family. But like when aunt Gertie tells you that, you know, her, <laughs> Sister's brother's nephew's cousin works at Paramount. Yeah. Don't call him and send him your first script because if he is nice enough to read your first script, it might be the last script of yours that he reads. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, but he'll be nice enough to get it covered for sure. You know. Yeah, but make sure that you <laughs> it, make sure it's the script you want read. Mm. So how did how did you guys get attached with Gold? How did that all come about? I was um you know. I was watching a late night document. I watch documentaries. I mean, I think everyone does, but I was watching this late night documentary show called Masterminds, and it was a half an hour show. They do very cheap production value, uh, just kind of thrown together documentaries. But they had intriguing stories, and I just, I, you know, they were like M and M's, just you know, candy kind of drama. And there was this story, the Briex story, that came across, and I was like, wow, that's. That's kind of an amazing thing. I called John, had him look, told him to watch this documentary, man. It's pretty cool. He called me back the next day. This is fucking great, man. We should do this. And so uh, we had that launched us into, uh, you know, about a decade of um, of hard work. The funny thing is, I mean, it was so good in in our view, the story itself, the true story. It was so unbelievable in so many ways and so rich in character and in human need and pathos and twists and turns. It was just too Twists to and turns, yeah. And that we were convinced that there had to be at least three other Briex stories in development. And so we, you know, started searching around, had asked our agents to look into it. No one had ever heard of it. Mm-hmm. And we got that little tingly sense of like, oh my God, we've got something great here. And we just jumped on it. We did a lot of research. We, um, there was fortunately a lot of um, newspaper and magazine reportage on the true story. And mm-hmm. we started putting together the way to tell it in a fictionalized account. Um, but it was just one of those things that it, it lined up so well with themes that we were already thinking about in our own lives. I mean, we were at that point, you know, we had kids and we were trying to make a living and trying to, in Hollywood, which is in a way you could say kind of akin to going out and prospecting for gold because it's a tough, not everybody strikes gold when they come out to Hollywood. And in fact, Hollywood Boulevard used to be called Prospect Boulevard, Prospect Avenue. What was it, Patty? Prospect Avenue, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, because, you know, it, and so there were a lot of, and just themes about what it means to be a quote-unquote success in America. There were a lot of these ideas that were resonating with us and in the larger culture with, you know, we were coming right into the financial crisis and Bernie Madoff and all of these ideas about, you know, the 
income inequality and and just the the commercialization, the consumerism that was on the rise in America at the time, this story just really seemed tailor-made to do a very fun, bold, adventurous story that would also be a great vehicle to explore those ideas of American maleness, American success, consumerism. What does it mean to find gold? What is, you know, what's the value of gold? And you know, the quote we always throw around, or at least I do, and we both definitely did when we were developing this, is, you know, what profiteth a man to gain the whole world and, and lose if he loses his soul? I'm, I'm now I'm paraphrasing horribly. Um, God wrote it better. Or, what profiteth uh, a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul, I think, it. is something like that. But, I mean, everything John's saying is, like, that's what we had, and we went out and pitched it to the town. We went to everyone, and then uh, and then everyone passed. <laughs> and they said, uh, you know, this is great and everything. It's all, you know, everything that John was sort of talking about, plus the plot and the story. Um, and everyone says, well, it's really execution-oriented, which is not so subtle code for we don't think you can pull it off. Um, <laughs> we're not going to pay you to write this, basically. So we. Um, By the way, we probably they had no good reason necessarily to believe we could. You know, I mean, yeah, that was a very yeah. nuanced story. And we had done Tomb Raider and some TV. We had done Veritas and some more TV. We had, but we hadn't written this kind of an epic drama yet. Uh, that definitely wasn't in our uh, in our um, portfolio. So, so we decided to spec it at that point. We decided to just throw, you know, throw throw the weight behind ourselves and believe in ourselves and put the time in into writing it. Even though we now had one thing that this this sort of loops back into what we were talking about earlier, you know, our career trajectory. I mean, just in terms of neither one of us set out to be action writers, and we ended up finding success in with you know, Tomb Raider was certainly a big breakthrough for us in terms of commercial success um, and monetary uh, success. We got paid for the first time significantly, and that gave us an opportunity to go into TV, which, again, was in the genre world. We did a show called Veritas, which, by the way, we really loved doing. And um, But that opened our eyes to a whole other possibility, which was to do TV. But TV took us away from what we really had uh, came, what we came out here for, which was film. Mm-hmm. But it also afforded us a way to kind of reinvent ourselves because we made our way. We, we eventually met Jason Kadams and David Nevins. And we developed with Imagine, and all those things came together to get us onto Friday Night Lights. And once we were working on Friday Night Lights, it really changed the way people thought of us as writers. It allowed us to to really explore just straight character drama writing, and that moment sort of aligned with our desire to reintroduce ourselves to the film community, and here comes this story, Gold, Mm-hmm. And we were just beginning to gain credibility as um, drama writers, straight drama writers with Friday Night Lights. And Gold came into our world, and we started writing Gold. And when it came to – when we finally finished the script and, and started sending it around, we had you know, a few seasons of Friday Night Lights in our pocket at that point and, and the you know, a couple of Writers Guild nominations – and all of a sudden, we were a little shinier in that world. When Gold came out, a lot of people were paying attention to wanting to read that script. So mm-hmm. timing 
and the opportunity to reinvent ourselves just happened at the same time. You know, gold happened at this moment when we were in a really good position to reintroduce ourselves to the film community, and it worked out. The character of Kenny Wells, he, he cares more about gold than money, even though from the outside it seems like a similar trait. Can you elaborate on that and what that means to him? Gold is the idea, you know. Gold is gold is the idea, the adventure. It's a, it's the, you know, the journey of getting something as, as unique and as valuable as that. And and in our story, it sort of lays out with, you know, gold is representative of something that his father never achieved. And like, and he loved his father very much. And his father was bringing him into the business and bringing him up. And his life was cut short. And so Kenny, I think gold represents like all that's great and valuable in life and all that's good in life. But it's, it's, it's the, it's the adventure and that idea of achieving something greater than yourself. Um, so it becomes symbolic to Kenny, you know, and as it is to like a lot of, a lot of people like, like screenwriting is great, you know, and like the, the adventure and the journey of writing is great, but you know, Oscar gold is really what we're at. <laughs> 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 um, you know, so I think, I think Johnny, is that, I mean, that's, that's sort of like, yeah, a, I think, I, I think that's, like... that's, I think that's it. And I, I think there's another slight element to it, which is that comes at the end of the movie. And to us, it's like, that's sort of what he comes to realize is that it wasn't about the gold. It was never about the money. That's the money, somewhat yeah. of a discovery that he makes because at the beginning of the story, Kenny is a guy who's really down on his luck, who feels like, He's laughed at. Who feels like he's, yeah, he's written an outsider? Off. Yeah, he's an outsider. He's taken something that his grandfather and father built and handed to him, and in his own self-esteem, trashed it. Mm-hmm. He's failed, and he wants to be seen as the big man. He wants to be seen like his father. He wants to be seen with success. He's he's not given the respect by his father's former friend at the bank. And there's a need in Kenny to be taken seriously and to be seen as successful. And that drives... But not, just, but not just successful. Successful as a prospector. Successful yes. as a man who discovered gold. That mm-hmm. specifically is what he feels will make him, will, give his, will make his life complete. Mm-hmm. So the money, you can make money in a lot of different ways, you know. Money will come to people in different ways. You can survive. You can become rich. There are lots of ways. But to become a, a, a gold man, to become a prospector, uh, it, 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 to him personally, is the is the highest achievement. There, and that makes sense. I, 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 yeah, and I think I think that his what he wants is cloudy in his own emotional life <laughs> in the beginning of the movie because he's there's so much need and desperation driving him that when he does strike gold it makes him very vulnerable to all the you know the sycophants and the uh assholes that any great success will attract and the shark circle and he does lose himself he loses sight he loses sight of what is important to him what's truly important what's truly gold and by the end of the movie he realizes what is true what is right love friendship all the things that he realizes he actually found and that the gold didn't matter that all the money, the, 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 the people slapping him on the back was all bullshit. But what really mattered was the love, 
of this woman who stood by him, stood by him all these years, the friendship, the adventure, the personal journey is what it was important to him. Mm-hmm. That's why he says it's never about the money. It was about the gold, and that's different. It's different. Um, so that's why I think it is both true and not true, because when he sets out, it's not true. He wants the gold. But by the end of the movie, he realizes that's not what he really wanted. And what he really wanted is what he loses and rediscovers in the course of the story. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter where you also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.